Hello and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Monday, February 27th, 2023. I'm Mike Kachopoli. Okay, I know everyone is a little shocked. You're wondering why the show is on so early tonight. Why it's on at 7.30 Pacific, 10.30 Eastern Time, as opposed to my usual time of 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern Time. It's because we're going to have a uh, special guest on here shortly. Um, and his name is uh, John Dennis, and he's chairman of the San Francisco Republican Party. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, take deep breaths. I know it's a shock that San Francisco has a Republican Party, but they do have a Republican Party. We do have a Republican Party here in uh here in San Francisco and uh it's a it's a party that's 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 building up it's building it's getting larger simply because democrats are pushing people towards the towards the republican uh party and a few things um that I want to uh, uh talk about um once John comes on it, oh, it looks like John is just about let me I'll John I'm going to intro you now again for people just joining the room, uh, this is John Dennis. He's the chairman of the San Francisco Republican Party. And there are a few things I want to talk about, but I might as well just put John on right now. We'll get we'll get right to it. I'm going to invite John to speak. Just unmute your mic, which is on the bottom left hand corner of the screen. There, you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to talk. Um, but there were a few things that that happened today. Hey, John. How- Welcome to the show. Oh, uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mike. Well, welcome to call in. Uh, a few things happened just like earlier today, and I want to get right to it. Um, first of all, I'll introduce you. you. You had run. How many times did you run against Nancy Pelosi? Oh, geez, I started losing. Well, once I got up to one full hand, I thought, okay, that's enough. So five, <laughs> five times. Because I don't have that mean I've got some more fingers and some more toes, but the five was a nice even, even way to number and a place to stop. Yeah, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna be as annoying as possible. I'm gonna try to get you to run for Senate. I know I might not be <laughs> successful, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna try because I think we've got good people to do that in California. Yeah, well, we're gonna, we'll talk a little bit about San Francisco politics and Republicans having a rough time here. But of course, statewide, we know Republicans have won uh, in the not so distant past. Republicans have won here um, statewide. But something happened earlier today, and it was an article. It was an opinion piece written in the New York Times. Um, by Michael Moritz, who's a partner at Sequoia Capital. And he wrote that even Democrats like himself are fed up with San Francisco and said they've become their own worst enemy. He says, like it or not, San Francisco has become a prize example of how we Democrats have become our own worst enemy. The astonishing city that I have lucky enough to call home for more than four decades now has become subject to the tyranny of the minority. Now, so... This is what you would call this progress, wouldn't you? At least a little bit of progress where Democrats are starting to say, hey, look, um, these people we elect don't have our best interest in mind, do they? No, um, they certainly do not. <laughs> they have the best interests of whatever agenda it is that they're they're promoting. Um, you know, this is uh, this is something uh, the situation we have in San Francisco is something that could happen in a red state with a really red city, if such a thing existed, um, where uh, what happens is you get so much power that uh, or so much control that you can't fight the other side, the the blue side. And so as a result, you're trying to out um, 
you know, uh, trying to um, prove each other's fidelity to the ideology. And, um, and what happens is the, the people who live in those areas just become like, I don't know, they're just incidental objects being bounced around like, you know, metaphysical billiards, you know, kicking of billiard balls, just bouncing around on the table as they just go through the motions of advancing their own careers by, by, um, by, you know, piety and fidelity to the, uh, to the, to the, uh, to the orthodoxy that could happen in the right in a red city. It has certainly happened in a, in a blue state and, you know, a, a deeply blue city. We're just, you know, being completely uh, used as a social experiment here by, by progressive Democrats. Well, you know, I have, we, we can talk about San Francisco, but I have a lot of friends in my hometown of New York. And I talk to them all the time and they say, Mike, you know, you're complaining about San Francisco, but New York is even worse. People are getting pushed onto the subway tracks. We see these videos of bodegas getting shot up. And I say, I say to them the same thing all the time. It seems like I'm, I'm knocking my head against the wall. Why do you keep electing the same people? New boss, same as the old boss kind of situation. They will not. I mean, they did back in the early 90s with Rudy Giuliani, but I guess because of Trump derangement syndrome now, they, they simply won't elect anyone with an R next to their name, no matter who they are. And they keep electing the same person. Over and I think over it's and easier. Over. I think it's easier. Well, look, I mean, in, in my most recent election, I think I ended up with sixteen uh, percent uh, in, uh, and we are Republicans are six point seven eight percent of the voter registration base. So, you know, roughly two and a half times voter registration. Um, if you had that same, you know, same um, kind of that extension, where you know Democrats in declining states. Are willing to vote for a candidate, you know, two and a half times. Geez, you know, you could have a, you could if Republicans were just twenty five percent of the city, we could get some of them elected. In fact, I was talking to Kevin Faulkner, who's a former mayor of San Diego. You know, people don't realize the city of San Diego, not the county, but the city of San Diego, is only twenty five percent Republican. He was elected a few times. So, you know, we just have we it, the the issue right now though is that. It's really difficult for people to cross cross lines, whereas in a, you know, in a state that's or, or a congressional district or a city that's much closer, you know, 40, 40, you know, 40 Democrat, 40 Republican, something like that. Uh, people are much more willing to cross over lines because they tend to both parties tend to offer more centrist candidates and it's easier to, to swap over. But here we just, you know, it's just really difficult to get people to to switch. Now, having said that the people who do switch tend to be our greatest assets. You know, we, we actually have a program where we reach out to people who've actually registered as Republicans in San Francisco. Think about the energy that, 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 that requires. Somebody's got to be really irritated and really angry to, to make that switch. So we, we do that. And hopefully some of that energy, you know, as we, as we advance that program, hopefully some of that energy will lead to other people taking the plunge as well. Well, you know, it's one thing. Look, I, I'm now registered as an, you know, I went from I went from Democrat myself to Green to no party. And a lot of people in California and San Francisco are no party, um, but they might lean to the left or they might lean to the right. And that that's like the that's like the middle ground. Right. If you don't want to register as Republican, you can register as no party. Right. Um, right. And still vote, but you can still vote for the Republican. So I'm, I'm not even saying that people need to register. I know you, you're the chairman of the Republican Party. You want to register as many people Republican as possible. I get it. But as long as they at some point hit rock bottom enough to say we need to make a real change and 
Forget about what party I belong to. Who cares who we elect in this city? And if there's someone running and they have an R next to their name, not to simply uh, disqualify them, right? Simply because they're a Republican. I think if we get to that point, we're, we'll be okay. Well, one of the one of the, the advantages of having run for so many things in the cities, you end up with a lot of stories. So I also ran, so I, can, I took a break from running for Congress. I ran for supervisor in District 2. And uh, in that race, I thought, oh, you know, I did pretty well against Pelosi. I think there were about four or six precincts in the marina where I actually beat Pelosi. Um, unfortunately, there are about, you know, 400 other precincts in the city, but okay, fine. Uh, but anyway, so I thought, well, maybe that <laughs> will translate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, listen, you take your victories where you can get them. Anyway, I thought, well, maybe, you know, that'll translate into a supervisorial run. So I did it. And, um, um, yeah, we we had uh, and it's and I thought to myself, oh, you know, not only will I have some support and some name recognition, but uh, you know, it's a nonpartisan race. So I thought, oh, that'll be an advantage. People won't actually know that I'm a Republican. Um, but uh, as soon as I ran, the first thing that the Chronicle did was, and the Republican in the race, John Dennis. <laughs> you know? Right, they, right, exactly. They just yeah. trumpeted it like immediately. <laughs> so you're not running from it, and. People shame one another. The media will shame. Oh, he's the Republican in the race. Like, you know, uh, it, it's you, you could be the most. We've run some unbelievably qualified people. Look, let's look at the state level. Look at who we just ran for attorney general. This guy, Nathan Hockman. He was so far superior to his opponent. What? Look at the guy's resume. And he was a centrist Republican from like, reminded me of those sort of 1970s mid-Wilshire L.A., you know, right. you know, moderate right. Republicans, right. you know, great guy, super qualified guy, uh, you know, great you know, pedigree in his education and, uh, you know, just couldn't really get that close. Lan He Chen, uh, who ran uh, in this last election on the state level, uh, what was he running for? I think controller. I mean, an amazingly qualified guy, all these Ivy League, you know, you know, backgrounds and stuff. And he actually did pretty well, but still really couldn't narrow the gap. Did put me a punched way above his weight relative to our party's registration, it's just really tough to get people to vote across party lines. You say, oh, you're just, you're a Republican, but you could vote for a Democrat or you're a Democrat, you can vote for a Republican. But that's just, it's just unfortunately not the way it works. Yeah, well, like I said, my hope is we just, early today, there was this mass shooting, the shooting that went on. I mass shooting, no one was killed, thankfully, but people could have been. It was in the middle of the day in the Soma district here in San Francisco, which is a very nice area. It's not a bad, it's a nice area up and coming, a lot of new condos and stuff. And evidently someone drove by and shot 30 to 50 times what many people believe was a machine gun or assault rifle um, just out the window. And people went scattered and running everywhere. And this is becoming a more common occurrence here. So my question to you is what if you let's say you were elected mayor of San Francisco, what would you what could you do? What could you do to, to address this issue of crime in this city and, and how well, people just don't feel safe living here or walking the streets anymore? <laughs> well, let me just do something while we're talking here. I'm going to pull up a quote um, uh, that I just gave to the Chronicle. The Chronicle had a working group a, a week ago Thursday, and I got invited to it. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, they, they were a working group on homelessness. And, you know, I understood it was a big group and they wanted to narrow the conversation. It was unfortunately narrow a little bit too, but, but my, there were four groups that broke out. Not, the group that I was in had a few 
people who worked in the homeless industrial complex. And I said, you know, I, th- I think most people in the homeless industrial complex have the, you know, the right intentions, but unfortunately they're failing. And if there was such a thing as a CEO of the whole operation, I'd fire every single one of them. <laughs> and, and fortunately yeah. the Chronicle, uh, put that, put that in, uh, um, let's see the here. Yeah. It's in the Chronicle. If you pull it up, but anyway, but that's what I said. So I just, that's sort of the attitude that I would take. Because right now we have all these fiefdoms. It's, a, you know, it's the nature of government in general and municipal and county government in particular. You know, people, uh, patronage is alive and well. And um, <clears throat> friends and family, uh, supporters uh, get fiefdoms. And, uh, you know, that's what the homeless industrial complex is. Let me tell you the, <clears throat> what I think of the fundamental issues with that. And it really came through uh when I, uh, when I, when I spoke there, one of the things I said was this number, when I ran for supervisor, they said in the, um, uh, that the homeless people were 90% people who just fallen off the rent rolls from San Francisco, which I knew was complete a lie in 2018. Right. Now they've, yeah. they've reduced that number to 70%. And frankly, Mike, I think that's a complete, you know, horse. Still way, way too, still that way is, too high baloney. Yes. Yeah, no, no way. Go out and walk in the street and find these people who are from Reading and Fresno and Salt Lake right. City and Nevada right. and Carson City. Right. They're from all over the place. You know, Bakersfield, they're from all over the place. They're not from here. They come no. here because we created a mecca for people who want to live the drug-addicted street lifestyle. Yep, that's you know, exactly right. Low, over, low overhead and yep. access to lots of drugs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you get you get money to do it. So in any event... Um, to come back to your, to your original question is just how would I approach it? Well, here's what I would do. I would, um, um, I would uh, first of all, I'd do a poll and make sure that we had a real number about how many of those people, and I'm sure it's going to be like 99% of the right. homeless people in the city or outside. And that changes the dynamic of everything because then what we can start looking at is we don't have, you know, two, we, we could build more housing. Of course, I'm all for that. But it's not because we have too little housing or rents are too high. It's what we have created is a magnet to attract people. So I draw a perimeter around the city and I say within this perimeter, I'm like, the, I'm, you know, like a chessboard and I'm the king. And within this perimeter, I protect my, you know, the, my, the people who live here and the people who don't aren't from here, want to live this lifestyle are going to get expelled. They're going to have to go somewhere else. We're going to make it really uncomfortable for them to pursue that lifestyle here. We're going to cut mm-hmm. off all city funds to it. We're going to cut off all the free needles, the BBT cards, the cash payments, all that stuff. And we're going to protect the sidewalks, which incidentally are really owned. If you look at the legally, the way the sidewalks are sort of really out, you know, should be perceived, it's private property with right of way access, right? It's not city land. That's the public. No. That's the private property of individuals. And so enforce private property rights and tell these people they just can't live. They can't live on the streets and sleep in front of anybody's house, anybody's business, anybody's empty lot. I don't care. They don't have the right to do that. And then, you know, you know, we might be driving men to San Francisco. We may not actually, you know, make a dent in the general drug street drug addiction problem, but they just won't be here anymore. And I think San Francisco has contributed plenty to the folks who want to live that way. Now they can go live that way somewhere else. I'm sorry. That's 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 my attitude about it. We've done plenty in San Francisco. The downside is, of course, is that uh, there's not an appetite for it. But that's 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 what uh, that's what I would do. I would take a totally different approach to the problem.
What about the the issue? Now, I, I know a lot of the I, I probably the majority of the criminals uh, in San Francisco, the, you know, the ones who go into Walgreens and rob it or CVS or Louis Vuitton or wherever and they go and, and, and actual rob and loot stores are not. Uh, I don't think they're mentally unstable. They're just criminals. They're the criminal element. That's their lifestyle. But there's also a very significant element. And I was victim to this a couple of months ago of people on the streets who are simply mentally ill. They have, they're, they're schizophrenics. And they're not on medications. And they'll either verbally assault people or sometimes physically assault people. What about being able to forcibly remove those people from the streets? The streets, I believe, that are owned by the taxpayers of the city who pay a lot in taxes and a shitload in rent and deserve clean, safe streets. Well, I've always thought the idea of, of being able to forcibly remove people who are violent, who have violent tendencies, who have shown and been proven. To have violent tendencies and not allow them to continue to prey on people. Well, first of all, uh, I, I, my let me extend my 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 but apologize how sorry I am for you, that that happened to you. Um, oh yeah, I, I don't want to. It was a minor thing, but you know, it could have been. I could have been an older person. It would have been a, a worse thing, you know. And there no, we no, see no. elderly people, elderly Asians who are attacked here all the time by people who oh, are just vicious. schizophrenic. It's, you know. Oh, it's so horrible. What, what, yeah, what yeah. can we do to get those people off these streets? Because it seems to be. It seems to me there are more and more of them every year. Yeah, and, when, and so when I talk about street street drug addiction um, lifestyle, it's it's not just it's not just that it's that you know there there are people who are you know um, mentally ill and so they're substance they're they are um, they're vulnerable to um, to being introduced to drugs and getting you know and then of course going to you know a, a, a spin a tailspin with those and then combined with mental illness it just is complete chaos and then there are other people who are vulnerable to drug addiction and then it exacerbates any type of mental illness they have right so they kind of roll they kind of roll together um you know if you you do drugs long enough on the street if you're even if you're seen as perceived as relatively sane you're going to be pretty crazy after a while so um so yeah, I mean, well, listen. The, the formula again. This goes back to 2018 when I ran. It wasn't something that I invented. In fact, I heard somebody talking about it recently. Um, I think it might have been at a town hall in the in the marina. Um, you know, it's a it's a really simple thing. You know, if you pick somebody up for, for example, doing something illegal on the sidewalk, littering, defecating, urinating, shooting up, whatever it is that they're doing on the sidewalk, you know, they get they get released generally R O R. Um, and, uh, with a, uh, with, with a court date and 99% of those people, um, ignore the court date. And so then, uh, now you have a bench warrant sitting out there. Well, if we just, if the, if the prosecutors, um, and the judges in the city actually, um, you know, enforced those bench warrants, then the next time someone got picked up, then they couldn't be released be released because they have the bench warrant outstanding they've already you know they've already you know ignored a court date so now there's you can't reasonably let that person go and at that time you can actually go do an evaluation what does this person need do they need drug rehabilitation purely or do they need a combination of, of the you know mental uh uh you know evaluations um and a mental hold for some period of time psychiatric hold or they just be purely psychiatric patients who need, you know, to be in, in an institution. And so, um, so we could, we could do that 
and um, you know, and have some leverage. Let's say the person is just you know a drug addicted with some minor mental health issues. You know, we could tell, give them a choice and give their uh, their representation, the public defender's office, a choice. We could say, well, listen, you're, you've got the one misdemeanor with the bench warrant, and now you have this new misdemeanor. So now you're looking at a year in jail because each one carries six month sentences. Right. We can give you that year, or you can go into rehab for four months and give them the choice. And I think most of them will choose to go into rehab. Rehab doesn't work all the time, but it's better than not rehab. And eventually rehab will, 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 will get them. And I think that would help to drive, drive down the number of people who are actually on the streets. And incidentally, you know, even, the, even people who have psychiatric issues will know that when a city is, you know, is not welcoming to them, they'll find another place to go. And I don't wish to push the, you know, sweep this problem under the rug, but San Francisco is also not responsible for solving all of society's problems. We do plenty for people from out of state and out of the city. Um, it's, you know, it's time to start taking care of the yeah. city itself. John, there was a time when people, the, the hippies were like, hey, man, San Francisco is the place to go. Peace, love, unity. And they'd come here. The hippies would come here from all over the country. Right. And that was a 60s, 70s thing. Now you're right. Now it's basically welcome it's welcoming the homeless. It's welcoming the drug addicted. It's well. It's welcoming people who have mental illnesses. That's basically. I, I got to find a name for that group. It's not. Uh, it's something about. I got to find a name for that. Uh, for that group, it's street drug addicted. I mean, it's. I got to come up with a catchier name. But that's really what they are, right? Well, and and on top of that, they're now not you homeless. Know, for, well, the street right. The drug issue is the biggest problem. We know that, and that's something the left doesn't seem to want to admit. That it's not necessarily a, a lack of ho- having a home problem; it's a drug addiction problem, right? Because if you put if you if you build housing, and we've seen this in the past, right? You build housing for for these people; they don't know how to use housing, right? And we often see that problem is that they they'll either ruin the place they're in, the building will burn down, something bad will happen because they're not accustomed to even living a, a quote unquote normal life because they have such bad drug addiction problems so but now we're also seeing the, the fentanyl issue john right i mean the fentanyl issue is a, is a whole other layer you know and, I, and 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 i've had jackie berlin on the show a couple of times mothers against drug addiction and deaths and how do we what what channels do we have to use in order to get fentanyl off the streets here you know i've, I've come my own ideas obviously the border is a big issue china is a big issue but how, how do we how do we really crack down, in your opinion, on on the the uh, just the access to incredibly dirt cheap fentanyl here, which is killing not only people living on the streets, but killing it's killing our, our children who, who, you know, who, who buy this stuff either in the streets or through the mail. How, how do we how do we really how do we really get a hold on that? Because that seems to be really overwhelming now. Let me make one. one I want to answer that question. I just want to make one, one final point about the about the homeless um, sure. the thread we were just on. Um, mm-hmm. The at that Chronicle working group, there was a, someone. As soon as I mentioned that thing about it, it's just not true that that's you know seventy or ninety or seventy percent of the people just fell off voter rolls in San Francisco, and there was a trans woman there, big trans woman, who got really angry at that and got really uh, animated, and was like, "That's not true. I'm not going to let you say that." Da 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 da, and all this other stuff. And I had to say. Um, um, and, uh, you know, I just said, you know, let me, I'd love to, I'd love to finish, uh, if you don't mind, but, but what, it, what stuck out with me was that person sensed the danger that that issue 
that that issue, um, uh, uh, the threat that that issue is to the entire homeless industrial complex. If we establish that 99% of the people come from other places, it will completely eviscerate the whole, every program of the homeless industrial complex because people will start saying, well, what the hell, man? Why are we paying for that in San Francisco? Why are we ruining, ruining our tourist business, our convention business, our tech business uh, attraction, so that we can be a drug haven and playground for you know for people from out of state? So I, what I'm looking for, just uh, to, before we get back to the fentanyl issues, I'm looking for a partner. Uh, I'm you know sending out some emails to some high profile, uh, well off folks to actually help pay for the poll. To, so that we could actually go in and do a realistic poll of where these people are from and release that and crush that number that they're peddling right now, 70%. It will change the game. So anyway, um, going back to the fentanyl issue. If fentanyl, you know, as you know, I'm more libertarian than conservative. Conservative, but more liber- libertarian in terms of political ideology. So I'm not a big drug war uh, fan. Having said that, you know, this is a, this fentanyl drug, which is coming from Mexico and China, um, is not being sold in Mexico or China. It's being sold in the United States. So it's almost like a, a bit of warfare against us. You know, it's been, tar- it's targeting our people and destroying our well, you know, culture. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a great way to destroy your enemy from within, right? I mean, it's, it's a great way to yeah. do that. If you're China, what better way to destroy America than by making everyone a fentanyl addict? <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's actually pretty pretty genius of them to do that. Really just Who needs bombs when you have pills? Yeah. I, didn't, yeah. I wouldn't have expected Joe Biden to do anything about it because he's a complete basket case. Bit disappointed that President Trump didn't do more on that issue, um, and could have done more. Well, listen, I mean, do we want to get into warfare? Maybe we do, we we set up a designer drug that is completely irresistible to people in China, and a designer drug that's completely irresistible, uh, and, but yet de- debilitating to people in Mexico, and unleash that stuff down there, and see how they like it. Maybe we do that. So you want to go? This is a war. You want to do that? Okay. We've got the biggest pharmaceutical country companies in the world with the biggest capital expense uh, expense um, budgets. Let's go to town. Let's figure out how we're going to do this. And you know, maybe we'll come to a position of uh, mutually assured destruction. The thing is, the person who's making um, fentanyl, the people who are making fentanyl, are well known to those in China. But you know, the problem they're kicking up. Uh, to you know, to the to CCP officials. So the CCP is officially culpable for the product that they're putting in the marketplace. As someone who's not a fan of, of of the drug war, however, one way we could approach this is just through product liability, uh, right. civil li- 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 liability. Sue the people who are killing people. It would really be a criminal thing if you make a product that you know has a high percentage chance of killing somebody. You're criminally responsible for that. So we don't have to do interdiction, but we can do, you know, we can enforce the law and allow people to sue people, sue the people who are responsible for this. I think that would be go go a long way to, you know, to putting an end to it. Well, that makes perfect sense. But while the Biden administration is, is more concerned with saving Ukraine, people in their own in his own country are being destroyed by this drug. Right. 
but they're spending most of their time and money on on saving uh, on saving Ukraine under the lie that if we let you know Putin take over Ukraine, he's going to take over the entire world, even though his military isn't strong enough to take over the Ukraine in a year. <laughs> of course, you know common sense doesn't matter, logic doesn't. He matter. flew. Biden flew almost halfway around the world to go to Ukraine to to pour money on them and won't go uh, six hundred miles from Washington or eight hundred, whatever it is, to the East Palestine, Ohio, to see you know the damage that's being done that's killing American people there. Um, you know, I think if people don't really understand how big, how, how much money a hundred billion dollars is. That's a boatload of money. You know, if the federal budget was trimmed, I don't know what it's at right now. It's 5.8 trillion, I think was the last number. It's called 6 trillion. I mean, you know, if we, tri- if we trimmed, uh, um, you know, 2% off our budget to start working our way, if we, maybe a 2%. Over five years, we'd be pretty close. If we trim two percent every year, we'd be pretty close to a balanced federal budget, which is sort of like a priority considering we have thirty-one trillion dollars in federal debt. Right. Um, you know, two percent. Two percent of that is a hundred is, is is like a hundred and fifteen billion dollars. That's basically what we gave to you to to Ukraine this year. <laughs> that could have been money that we didn't spend that we cut from the budget. To get us cl- closer to fiscal solvency, and you know, and and instead of instead we're exacerbating the problem and threatening our own existence. Yeah, this is China's got to be loving of the currency. Yeah, it's cr- I mean, China's got to be loving this, John. We, we're allowing them to send drugs over here to kill our people, to kill the morale, and kill people uh, figuratively and literally. And we're sending all this money to Ukraine, depleting our own budget here, and also depleting our military arsenal. Um, and they have to love it. I mean, they can just go into they could probably just go into Taiwan tomorrow. We can't do much about it because we're depleting so much of what we have. And so China has to really be enjoying um, Joe Biden really destroying America and uh, hurting our own um, standing in the world because we seem to be so obsessed with this. Look, John, I've talked about there are three major derangement syndromes is Trump derangement syndrome. Right. There's there's Putin derangement syndrome. And now, of course, we're starting to see DeSantis derangement syndrome, which will be will it'll be in full bloom as soon as he announces he's actually running for president. And it's, it's these it's these things that have just really destroyed us. I mean, um, I think it has destroyed a party that I used to be part of that I no longer want to be part of ever in the rest of my life, be part of the Democratic Party. You know, so uh, and, and that that's going to actually I'll let you respond to that. But that's going to take me back to local politics and um, Mike Moritz, who wrote this article, people just joining Michael Moritz, a partner at Sequoia Capital, wrote uh, an op ed today, today in The New York Times about how Democrats are now finally um, be getting tired of what's happening in San Francisco. But he said this. Um, there are a lot of politicians here who peddle, who peddle radicalism. One city supervisor is a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, whose nationwide membership would fail to fill the larger Big Ten stadiums. These crafty legislators have the time and resources to deceive voters with what on the surface might appear like insignificant tweaks to the city's operating instru- uh, instructions or by rule changes written in language that seems to be deliberately opaque, Moritz said. So um, he also criticizes the city supervisors board in addition to their system of, of ranked choice, rank choice voting. So uh, I guess my, my question to you is, one, do you agree with that? And two... What can we do here? Uh, what what can people here who, let's say, are in the minority, 
do to change that system? Well, um, yeah, do I agree with him? There's a number of points. I think I agree with just about everything, including that there's this little tiny minority within the Democrat Party who are driving the agenda. And I should probably say inflicting the agenda on us because we don't, because uh, we're, we're certainly not benefiting from their agenda. And, um, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, they, they're, they destroyed the city uh, in the process. Um, so what can we do about it? Well, this is what, you know, we fight to fight for and work on in the Republican Party every day here in town, trying to get people to switch over. I think there's a, I think, so that's my big message is just register Republican. Don't even register NPP, just register Republican. We are, I hate to do this and make this kind of a pitch and I'll, but I'll do it again and again, just because it's so, it's so reasonable and I don't even want to bother you. Just register. We won't contact you, won't bug you. Just register because if the Democrats see even a 2%, 3%, increase in Republican registration, that's going to perk their ears up. They'll be like, oh, maybe that maybe people maybe we've gone overboard here. Maybe we need to sort of need to start, you know, shifting back towards the center. We've already seen it happen. You know, last year we really only had what you consider one sort of moderate person on the board of supervisor. Today you have three, four. Um, who you can call moderates, you've already seen it because, and, and, the, and the reason for that was because people got fed up with the school board and they recalled those people and they got fed up with the, with the DA who was gaslighting them, telling them that everything was great. And, and you can see the shift back towards the center. Let me just make something clear too about, about San Francisco. You know, the progressives have always been sort of the, the, um, the, the charming, um, you know, court jester show of San Francisco, but name me a mayor who wasn't a centrist mayor. It really in the history of the city, Art Agnos, maybe, but even he was sort of like, you know, worked as a chamber of commerce, centrist, pro-business Democrat mayor, right? So the truth is the progressives haven't really, they've, they've made, you know, inroads on the board of supervisors, but not in the mayor's office. And the city has always worked to work and to, you know, and to function while they're ripping you off, of course, but work to function. The progressives don't care about that. They want to, they want to, you know, they want to stick you with the bill of, of their social experiment, but they don't really care if the city works or not. And we, I, I see Grace is waiting to call. If anyone else wants to call in, just get in queue. I'll, I'll start taking calls in a, in a couple of minutes. I did want to ask you, so do you, do you believe, uh, well, I was going to ask you, do you believe the new DA is doing a better job than the old DA? But, of course, she just did something that really annoyed me and a lot of other people on my side of the political spectrum where she prosecuted that man, you know, that's, that gallery owner who sprayed that homeless person for like five seconds on a mile on a 60-degree day. Um, here in San Francisco. So, so people like myself see her prosecuting a store owner, a business owner. I believe he's owned that gallery for like 20 or 30 years. And he contacted the city like 10 times. And he went to the police several times saying, look, there's this person who's sitting, who's squatting out in front of my store. And as you know, the homeless people don't, don't just sit out in front of the store. They make it their home. And and uh, people are afraid to come in. And I've, 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 I've contacted the city. I've done. They're, I've gone they're, not, the they're, not exactly, they're not exactly a welcoming committee, right? No, no. But, so the guy did the right thing, but the city did the wrong thing and said, too bad, bud. There's nothing we can do about it. And then he took matters into his own hands by simply 
spraying the person with water for a few seconds to make it uncomfortable for them. And she prosecuted it for, I get very upset, for virtue signaling purposes, John. That's why she prosecuted him. So uh, what is the difference between that and Chesabudin? Is there a difference? Well, she's doing, well, the, the, the seeds of the, uh, are of, um, of um, Brooke Jenkins' uh, failure were, I beg your pardon, were sown, um, you know, in, in her, uh, in her campaign and her support of, of Bedin. Because, again, she, the, the Democrats in this town want to tell you everything that they're going to try to do differently um, to solve the problem of crime and homelessness, except the things that are going to work. You know, so, right. so yeah, get rid of Bedin by all means. You know, he was, I mean, always very nice to me personally, by the way. But, you know, just completely out of his depth. Um, you know, the whole gaslighting thing based because, because he couldn't, you can't admit, you know, in progressive land that you're failing. Um, so it's everybody else's fault and, or it's not, or it's not really happening. But if you listen to Jenkins, she said, we're going to go after the drug dealers. Okay. You know, that's fine. I mean, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not a big drug warrior, but okay, fine. Do the, you know, do that. But what about the consumers of the drug? What are you going to do about that? What about the people who are they're 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 financing their their habit the users of the drugs uh, by boosting and you know forcing the shutdown of so many pharmacies in the city. What are you going to do about them? She didn't touch. She didn't touch them because they're like a protected class. They're like they're like a they're like an elevated class in a way. And so I want to come back to that in a second, but I want to finish on Brooke Jenkins. So the fact is, is that people in this town, the mayor herself, I like the mayor sometimes, honestly, I think she says some good things, but you know, she's just not willing to do what it takes to get to solve this problem. They, they just refuse to talk about it. Um, so, um, so, so that's, that's what, what I think about her. I think she's destined not to fail unless she changes course and tries to do the hard stuff that it's going to take to, um, you know, to, to get people out of the, out of the city. Instead of penalizing small business owners who have been penalized enough by the city's horrible, draconian, ridiculous, useless, destructive COVID policies for two and a half years. Um, but uh, and I'm going to get to COVID in a second, of course. But no, you know, you're right about London. She does feel the spirit sometimes. So that's that's good. At least we have a mayor that feels <laughs> the spirit. That's that's very, that's very important. Yeah, listen, I mean, uh, you know, I think you know, she, she found a thread that really worked for her campaign. Her campaign was about yeah. her, her life story, and it wasn't about her yeah. ability. And people, you know, became enamored with it, and she ran with it, and she won. Okay, it's politics. That's yeah, the way it works. Exactly. You know, let's get to some calls. I think Grace was the first one. Go, Colin. Hopefully, Grace, uh, you're on, and let's be heard. Grace, are you there? Grace, hello, oh, call in Grace. Sorry, here I am. Yeah, you got that, that darn unmute thing. It's a pain in the ass. But go ahead, Grace. How, how are you, Grace? I'm good. How are you? Good, pretty good. So I've been listening to you guys um, and agree with a lot of things you said. I was actually one of the people working on the Boudin campaign to get him off. Um, <clears throat> I could tell you great stories. I mean, we were, see, we got a something thrown at us and there were just some crazy crazy people and this city is crazy <laughs> let me tell you um but um but in you know like like john i i i'm 
now a Republican, um, grew up in New Jersey as a Democrat. My whole family were Democrats. Um, <clears throat> my husband is not. So he convinced me to change parties um, 23 years ago. Um, <clears throat> but when I moved here 23 years ago, it was much better than now. And it just seems to be getting worse. And um, there's a lot of Dem there's a lot of Republicans that you'd be surprised here in the city. I mean, I have 10, 15 friends that are strict Republicans, but you would never know that because they're afraid. Um, they're afraid you mean they're afraid to, to talk to people? They're afraid to admit it? They're afraid oh, to be, be admit out? it? Oh yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. I mean, like I said, yeah. when we were when we were campaigning to get Chester off, um, we were on West Portal one time and. A lady pretended she was going to sign, and then she threw the clipboard at my friend, who was trying to get the signatures. Um, so yeah, they're they're violent people. When they hear you're a Republican, it's violent. I mean, what I think the Republican Party needs to do is to team together, because I, I you know, like John says, people go down and they see the R, which I'm the opposite. I go vote. I only check the R's, even though I know the R's are not going to win in San Francisco. And my husband keeps telling me it's useless, but I'm not going to let that stop me from voting the way I want. This past um, election, but, Grace, you know. the first time I did that, this past midterm, I voted straight Republican ticket for the yeah. first time in my life, yeah, by the I way, know, at 50 years old, at 50 years old. Yeah, yeah, I'm 55. If if I don't know who to vote for, I just go and hit Republican. Um, and the ones I do, obviously, then I do. But if I don't, I don't, I would never vote Democrat no matter what. So I'm sure there's people on the other side doing the same thing. Oh, there's an R, forget it. But I, I think we need to bond because I didn't even know about John Dennis until a friend told me. Um, and I got more into politics and more information and started looking up things. But I think um, I think the Republican Party is bigger than people think in the city. Um, and I think if people knew how many there were, they would band together like we band together to get. I mean, Chessa, I don't think Brooke is doing any better job than he is, but. I, I, what I can see right now, and I do agree with the the poor old man. I mean, 26 times he's called police. He's called. She was throwing her feces at his client. I mean, this is this is a gallery on Jackson Street. And I remember when I first moved here, Jackson Street was upscale. You would never see anybody not even dress well on Jackson Street. Now it's just so so sad, so sad what's turned out. I mean, this guy's got an upscale gallery. And he's got a, woman, a, a home. And I have to disagree. They're not homeless. These people are not homeless. You're right. They are drug addicts. That's all they are. And I don't think they want to clean up. They know the city will give them drugs, give them needles, give them whatever they need. And that's why they come. I'm sure they're not from here. I agree with that. I think they come here because they know they can get this stuff for free. Yeah, but the problem with the left is, and I've known some of these people, and I think John touched on it, is that the people I know on the left, and, and let's put it this way, I believe that almost everyone who works in ho homelessness and housing in this city is an extreme lefty, and they all believe the same thing, which is that, oh, Mike, I, you know how many times I've heard this line from them? Mike, do you know what homeless people need? A home. They need a home. A home. Yeah. And that's all they can say. They don't want to talk about drug addiction. They don't want to talk about how these people – you, many of these people don't even want it. You can tell them, go live there. They don't want it because no, there are rules and regulations. The oh, no, the shelters right. are being robbed. They'll make well, there are, rules and right, there are rules and regulations with these SROs and shelters, and they don't want right. to be – they have a free life. 
They have a free right. life, free to use drugs, free to do whatever they want, free to assault people with no repercussions. So why would they want to live a life, a, a civilized mm-hmm. life, where you have to live by the rules? Right. They, they right. don't want to. And, and none, can... of these, none of these services are worth a darn. Yeah, Grace, let, let John I mean, get in. Just... John. Oh, okay. John. Grace, let John get in. Good. Yeah, no, just one thing I was going to say is what, what the result is, too, is that we have two legal systems. Uh, we have a legal system for the law-abiding, generally law-abiding taxpayers, and then we have a legal system for the people who who live on the streets. The people who live on the streets right. can do whatever they want, but mm-hmm. you, know, you you walk you walk into a Walgreens and try and you know, try and steal some steal some stuff. See how that works out. You <laughs> yeah, walk, you know, no, you, I, you, I, I, you drop your pants and try and go to the bathroom on the street. You know, mm-hmm. if you're well dressed, and see how that works out. You'll mm-hmm. go to jail. You get tickets. But it's but you can do whatever you want if you're you know if you're a homeless person and it's we have a we have a you know a, a, a two tiered uh, you know yeah. society with two two. Uh, John, you put your you're finger right. on it. It's exactly one hundred percent right. Absolutely, I, no doubt. Right, I Grace. I mean that that. I yeah. live a quarter yeah. mile from West Portal. My friend called me yesterday. She said she was at West Portal Saturday at Walgreens. The guy was just taking his backpack and just filling it up with a bunch of candy, a bunch of whatever he could get his hands on, because most of the stuff is locked up. So he was going after the stuff that wasn't, obviously. And candy seemed to be wide open. So he just pulled his bag with candy and walked out. No problem. No you know, repercussion. Yeah, well, I mean, somebody uh, yelled at him, but what is he going to do? He's just going to walk away. Yeah, I, I went to the Walgreens. They're not running anymore. They're walking out. No, and they—they've uh, these poor people who work at Walgreens and CVS. I've seen it many times where mm-hmm. these these women, a lot of them are older Asian women, and they scream and mm-hmm. yell at the people. Right. And I'm like, oh, what's the do. point yeah. of it? They're not going. The you know? was, yeah, that's what my friend said. She goes, they were screaming at him. He was like ignoring them. He was, you know, I mean, she was afraid that he was going to have some sort of weapon on him, and she kind of moved to the other side. But yeah. I mean, you're even scared to go into a Walgreens now. Well, this is not this is not a civilized society. I went into I went to the Walgreens on Taylor and Geary yesterday, and it literally took me like a half hour to shop for like three things because everything is under lock it's and key. Up. Everything mm-hmm. is under lock and key. It's like it's like we're living in an outdoor prison here. I, I would call mm-hmm. this an outdoor mental hospital, which which is what it is also. But it's a, it's it's amazing mm-hmm. that you go go into the suburbs and you go into a Walgreens or CVS and nothing's locked up. Nothing. The most yeah, expensive yeah. things aren't locked up. Here they have like right. things that have cost eight cents, eighty cents, and they're locked up. Oh, and you have, to push, you have to push the damn was, button. Was, you have to push the damn yeah, button to get said, their attention all the time. She said I was buying a seven dollar mascara and I had to wait ten minutes for somebody to Ex- unlock the, the thing to give it to me. Exactly. So John and put I his finger on it. Who refuses to go to Walgreens now because she says I don't have time to wait for them to unlock somebody and to get somebody to unlock something for me. It's a waste. Exactly. Exactly. Grace, I thank I mean, you for the call. Worse. Thank you. And and hang in there, Grace, along with the rest of us. Yeah, with the rest of us. Yeah. All right. All right, Grace. Uh, let me go <laughs> to, let's see, let's go to Daniel. Daniel, you're on and Let's Be Heard with John Dennis. Hey. Hi, Mike. Hi, John. Um, John, I'm a, I'm a longtime Democrat like um, uh, uh, Mike, uh, whose uh, political line, who re- realigned politically um, during the COVID era because of the uh, response to COVID, the policy response to COVID. Um, and I'm with respect to the so-called homeless problem, I've got a couple, I've got three questions. So I'm picking choose whichever ones you want to answer. Um, the first question is, 
what legal barriers state and city or possibly county even um, stand in the way of effectively dealing with the home, so-called homelessness problem. The second question is who or what entities in the San Francisco area form the so-called homelessness industrial complex? And the third question is why are conservative women the hottest women in San Francisco? <laughs> well, um, well, uh, let me let me work backwards. Well, listen, I'm a, mar a married man, so I you know, so uh, I can't spend a lot of time on the on the last topic. But I will say that anybody, uh, anyone who is their authentic selves, tends to be a lot more appealing. And if you're a conservative mm -hmm. in San Francisco, you are who you are and you're not denying it. So that makes you uh, more powerful and uh, more appealing to, uh, to other people or irrespective of anything else. So, um, so there's that. Um, and then, John, that's, um, a, that's, a nice, that's a nice safe answer for a married man. I, you know, you're, you're really on the <laughs> You're really on yeah. your game, John. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, uh, but so then in terms of the homeless industrial complex, there are a ton of non nonprofits. The one that comes to mind, of course, is Urban Alchemy. Um, they are um, they're they're uh, run by a dear friend of the mayor's and seem to get money money showered on them. But there are a whole, there's a whole bunch of money. I forget what the number is. I want to say is it a billion dollars that we give to not not for profits? Certainly a very high number. And um, supposedly the city spends. About seven hundred nonprofits do a lot of different things, not just homeless stuff. But um, the uh, the city supposedly spent six or seven hundred million dollars on homelessness. But that's just the beginning. The, you know, the private and the not for profit uh, money that gets raised probably gets closer to, to two billion dollars. It's a Oof. lot of money for a town with eight hundred thousand people. Oh my god! Yeah, it's a massive that's amount insane. of money. That's and insane. then I beg your pardon. What was your what was your first question? The first question was what legal barriers, uh, city oh. or state, stand in the way of addressing this problem? Yeah. So, so the league. Okay. So there's the de jure thing that the, the law and the big law that that's the big impediment is um, is the Boise case, and I forget what the full name of that case is, but it was in somebody versus Boise, and they uh, the the federal court there ruled that. Um, was federal ruled that the um, the city couldn't rouse rouse anybody off the streets unless they had a bed to provide them, which, by the way, is a case that's being challenged because uh, it's ludicrous on its face. Now, having said that, um, there are a lot of ways to achieve the same end, even in the legal system. We don't, I, I and you frequently also hear progressives say, "Well, it shouldn't be illegal to be poor." as if A, the problem is being poor, and two, people are actually attacking you and trying to arrest you for being poor. Now, here's the thing. What you, do, what you can do is we are a society. It goes back to that two-tiered legal system we had before. Stop not applying the laws that apply to us to the people who are living on the streets. And there, there is no restriction. There is just a mental block of the current legal system. But there are people in the public. In fact, this idea was brought to me by a public defender so many years ago. If the pub, if the, the the mayor is in a perfect position to go to the public defender's office, the prosecutor, 
the, 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 the judges and to help build out the necessary facilities to, um, to actually make this happen, to go after people for breaking the, the laws in this city that aren't even related to consumption of drugs. And here's, and here's the thing about that, Daniel, is if the mayor chose to do that, if she went after, after uh, you know, tried to be the coordinator and got buy-in from those groups, as soon as they started executing it, including the police, of course, as soon as they started executing that program of zero tolerance for, you know, de- de- uh, um, you know, destroying our streets, um, what would happen is it would send a message out to the, to the, to the drug addicted community that San Francisco isn't that welcoming a place anymore. And so they'll go to Oakland or they'll go to San Mateo, maybe, or, you know, San Jose, wherever they, wherever they'll go. And they'll be out of the city of San Francisco. Now, of course, I don't want to see people living on the streets and I don't want them to stay addicted to drugs. But if those other towns then start adopting, adopting that, those programs, they'll get more of those people into help and ultimately leave fewer places for the people who want to live that lifestyle to go. And I think probably be the most effective way to, to, to get folks off the streets. Thank you, John. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to sign off now. Thanks for answering all three questions. Thank you. Thank, thanks, Daniel. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. You know, John, another way, I know you'd agree with this, um, preaching to the choir, another way for us to be able to protect ourselves from criminals is if we were able to actually get guns here in San Francisco. If the actual law-abiding citizens of San Francisco, the ones who are prey to the predators, were able to go through the legal methods of getting a handgun here to protect themselves in the case of need of self-defense. But of course, that's not uh, something that's accepted in Democrat-run cities, is it? No, and you know this. We have a very good sheriff here. We're very supportive of uh, Sheriff Miyamoto, um, but disappointingly, he has sat on all of the concealed carry uh, permit. Let's just set aside the the the, the you know the aggressive um, anti-gun laws in the you know in, in the area. That we we can't even get concealed carry permits, um, right? And yeah. and and we've been like I said, very supportive of the sheriff, but he, anybody who applies, it just sits on them. They, I have to I think they've issued one in the last twenty years or something like that, which is crazy. So look at you know, let me give you my own personal uh, case. Uh, there's a, if you go to the top of my Twitter account at Real John Dennis, you'll see an incident that happened about two three years ago. I saw that confrontation with a guy, uh, an Antifa guy. Antifa came and protested the Republican Party because we were hosting an event to clean up San Francisco. We were cleaning it up. We were getting gathering piles of garbage off of our streets. And Antifa didn't like that because it showed up the Democrats. So they came and protested us at our kind of our base camp. And uh, it was there was there were assaults. There was. You know, they were attacked and throwing over our property, and I went up to one of the, the one of the big guys in that group and tried to, you know, get him down to leveling mode. And his icebreaker to me was, "I want you dead." Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it ultimately came down to to um, to him threatening me when the cameras are turned off, and I let him know I was an interest that that was that didn't scare me, and he, you know, he should he should try it. And that video has been viewed three point three million times on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there is a guy who you know, threatened to kill me and to hurt me after the cameras were turned off. We just got, now let me fast forward to, to recently, 
we get lots of nutty calls attacking us um, on the uh, San Francisco Republican Party voicemail. But we had someone who said, you know, who, you know, accused us of being, you know, puppets of the NRA and said, how would you like it if I came and put a bullet in your face? Maybe you'd react better if I put a bullet in your head. Well, I don't know. That seemed to have warranted, you know, a police report, which I filed and the police have not gotten back to me yet, by the way. But, you know, those are two instances yeah. where, my, you know, I'm pretty high profile in town. A lot of there are a few of us, a few Republicans who are. I think we, we would we would uh, qualify for, you know, for concealed carry permit. Now, I have to say I haven't filed for it, but I think I think I'd probably not get one and I probably should mm. have one. You know, that's really I, what, I, what I don't understand. Maybe you can enlighten me on this. Why hasn't there been a case brought to the Supreme Court for Second Amendment violations? Do you know? Uh, Has anyone ever thought about know, that? They, they, there was an article about it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's moving through the legal system. Yeah, they're, they're coming there. I think that I think the, the, the days of sitting on those um, concealed carry uh, permit applications um, are um, are coming to an end. There, there are cases that are progressing on that right now. Because, I mean, as, as you know, and you know, this is I don't, most people know this in in Republican run cities where the citizens, the law abiding citizens are allowed to protect themselves. There's less gun crime. There's more gun crime in Democrat run cities where the criminals know that the citizens, the law abiding citizens can't get guns. So the criminals have the guns. I know I'm preaching to the to the choir here. But once again, it's that lack of that uncommon sense, I like to say on this show, that liberals seem to have and seem to adore and seem to cherish. Even even when the facts and the evidence and the numbers year in, year out are thrown in their faces, that the cities with the most draconian gun laws that prevent law-abiding citizens like you and I from protecting ourselves are the cities with the most gun crime. They don't seem to make the correlation, do they? No, but it brings up another really important and interesting point, and that is that, that the narrative, the Democrat narrative, the one that keeps them in power is safely insulated inside the confines of the mainstream media and uh that's something that we have to we really have to address i mean that's why you know elon musk was roundly attacked by those people for buying twitter because it's a threat to them it's a first threat. that's one of the gifts that donald trump gave if you irrespective of what you think about donald trump he pointed out the hypocrisy of the media. I mean, what are we what are we just learning now that, you know, for years people said that this clearly was something that escaped from the, this COVID escaped from COVID virus escaped from the Wuhan lab. And people were canceled for saying that they got their accounts shut down in social media yep. and Twitter and Facebook. And now they finally come out and said, uh, yeah, uh, that's most likely what happened, that it was released from the lab accidentally. Well, where are the apologies? All the people who were attacking, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the folks who suggested that, are, shouldn't they be, you know, groveling uh, for, uh, for forgiveness? Um, but, you know, that's just not the way it works. So we have a, we have a mainstream media that's, that's, that's perfectly willing to insulate the narrative and to, and to, and to keep the, um, the, um, the facts obscured. Um, it's, they constantly talk about gun violence and how there's this terrible thing, problem with gun violence. What they fail to mention is that, um, is that, uh, you know, gun violence happens primarily in places where there are no guns that where, where people are not allowed to have guns. Right. Um, well, the criminals can have guns. Yeah. Yeah. Where the, well, yeah. well, the criminals are the criminals, but that's, that's the thing. 
criminals are skilled at evading law. The law yeah, they that's why they're called criminals, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's they will never. So they will get whatever they want whenever they want it. So then you have to look right. at well, what are people going to do to count? What are the law abiding going to do to counter that? And um, it's uh, frankly appalling anybody who would deny someone a law abiding citizen from being able to protect him or herself. Uh, as Grace said, you bring up the thing about the legacy media um, having a stranglehold on everything. And, and that's like Grace said, I didn't never heard of John Dennis until despite how many times you've run, despite how long you've been here. And you've been chairman of the party now for what, 15 years, 14 years? No, right? no, 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 no. I've been on, I've been on the uh, I've been on the Republican uh, County Committee for about 15 years, but um, I've been the chairman since the middle of 2019. Oh, I, I thought I read Oh, maybe I read it wrong or they have it wrong. I thought I'd read you were chairman since 08. Maybe they have that wrong. Maybe it's just you. Were no, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, been, I've, been, I've been involved with the committee since 08. I've been a delegate to the state party. I'm actually now running for a, a, a position on the state party board, um, which, uh, which is going to happen. Uh, an election will happen in about 10 days. Well, but a, a big part why a lot of people in San Francisco don't know you is because the legacy media here doesn't put you on, right? I mean, I've seen you on Fox News, at, you know, with Todd Pyro, the Fox and Friends first at, you know, one thirty in the morning, which is great. Fox gets millions of list viewers, but it's nationwide. It's not Fox local, right? So if the media here covered, like like you said, when they announced you're running and the Republican candidate, like it's some brooding, menacing thing, right? <laughs> if well, they actually... I would say, well, I would say, though, that, you know, because I'm the chairman, I've gotten I've gotten more media attention in recent years than um, and that's just not for me, but just because I'm a spokesman spokesman for the party, I'm a spokesman and the primary spokesman for the party. So when the local media and I have to say the TV media is much fairer than the print media, the local TV media is much much fairer. Um, but when uh, when they need the opposition opinion particularly during the elections, election season, or if there's a big court case. Uh, uh, when Dobbs was handed down uh, last year, I did a lot. I, was, I, I get on, the TV, on TV quite a bit. Just aren't that many people watching TV anymore. You know? Well, that's uh, true. So, that's a good point. So more people see it elsewhere. So anyway, there are other ways to get out there. And I, I think it, I was actually surprised in 2018, we, did a, we ran a poll and, you know, even in my own supervisorial district, I, I had uh, I had a surprisingly low uh, name recognition rate. But then again, so did Mark Farrell, who'd been the su- supervisor for the district for six years. So, so people, you know, people are going on right. with their lives. They're paying attention to other things. Not necessarily what's happening in local politics. So I don't, I don't take offense to that. Well, it brings up another issue I wanted to talk about, which another article that was just written today, and that's. Uh, this as nutty as this sounds to most people who live in places like Florida, Texas, Georgia, basically ninety five percent of the country, our San Francisco local state of COVID state of emergency is set to end tomorrow. Yes, that's yes, that's the last day of February twenty twenty three. Three years into fifteen days to flatten whatever they were trying to flatten, um, and there's still even after three years, John. Even after three full years of this, even after, as you just mentioned, we've been proven right on natural immunity, proven right on the origins of COVID, proven right on lockdowns, proven right on mask mandates, proven right on vaccines, proven right on vaccine mandates. In fact, there was just a study that came out last week of 78 studies, the study of studies, which showed that masks did nothing to stop the spread of COVID. There's a group here. There's a group. There's a group in San Francisco 
and they call themselves unironically marked by COVID, not realizing what that really means is they've gone insane by COVID. They have a psychological issue now with COVID, but they call themselves marked by COVID and they are losing it, John. They're losing it. They want to know we're here to ask and they were at City Hall. I don't know. There might have been six of them, whatever, but that's enough to get six is enough to get press by the legacy liberal media here. Um, if, if a Republican group of 80 were there, they wouldn't have covered it. But these people said, we're here to ask, what's the plan as the public emergency ends? What do we do? I lost a parent during the pandemic. And since then, she's been this woman's been advocating some of the most uh, some of the mask mandates she wants. And she said that they want these mask mandates to continue forever in healthcare facilities, such as your doctor's office, hospitals. And they demand that mask mandates be added back to places like CVS and Walgreens. John, what do we do with these people that no matter how much evidence is presented to them, and I just said this a few minutes ago about about gun violence, no matter how much evidence is presented to them that no mandate did any good, that mass mandates were garbage, how do we convince them to finally shut up and move on? Can we? Uh, well, there's always a way to persuade somebody. The question is whether or not you want to you want to spend that much effort and energy on doing it. Um, I, let me ask you: I think is it is it safe to say can we sort of establish as a as as an operating base that um, that cities in general, but especially the, the more left the city goes, the the more um, uh, mentally ill people you have. Is that is that something we can we can agree on? I'm sorry. You said the bigger the city. Well, well, certainly the, the sort of the bluer the city. Uh, you oh, know, the bluer the, the city, mentally, the more mentally, mentally ill people. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they're called the functioning, they're called, they're called the functioning mentally ill. Yeah, you know, people have their you know, their apartments and they have their jobs and the things that they do, and they but they're they're you know they're they're nutty, um, and so there's you know there, there's there are always ways to persuade people, but some of these <laughs> things are so conditioned. Uh, to that, um, they're never going to change. And by the way, you know, COVID killed my dad three years ago. Um, mm-hmm. He got it in May of 2020. Went right through him. I think he got it. Killed him in like 48 hours, if that long. Um, so you know, but you, you know, I'm out. You know, I'm telling myself, I mean, you know, I'm out living my life. So it is really a mental illness thing. And uh, the problem is, is we cover the mentally ill. We got to stop covering them. Let them go shout in a corner, and then the rest of us should move on. Um, you know, we are we're, we're spending much too much time in this culture, in this city, in the state, in this country, um, kowtowing and catering to people with mental illness. And it's becoming really destructive. It's got to the point now where we have to push back on it. And I'm thinking at this moment of a specific politician in San Francisco, namely Scott Weiner. And the Scott <laughs> oh, Weiner agenda. Oh, my favorite guy, my favorite guy. Is, the Scott Weiner agenda. You know, I just did. I just helped a woman. She didn't quote me in the article. She's a writer for the Wall Street Journal. She wrote a famous book about this this problem with uh, gender. Um, you know, Weiner is um, known was known largely as being the pro housing guy here before he went to Sacramento, and then he went to Sacramento and he's pursued that agenda to, to you know, but also expanded to the gender agenda, and. Her, Abigail Schreier was her name. She ended up writing the article for a City Journal, which is a great publication as well. And in it, you know, she and she told me when we were on the phone, he has he has become like the most powerful guy in the country 
on this topic because he's somehow getting all of these gender and transgender oriented bills through Sacramento without resistance from you know, certainly the Republicans don't matter in Sacramento, but no resistance even from the moderate Democrat element, uh, you know, that elected to the bodies up there and getting these things passed. For example, he passed uh, helped pass a law that you makes California a sanctuary state for kids, for, un, for, minor, for minors to come to California without parental consent and start getting treatment to change yeah. their gender. To, to, to mutilate gender. themselves, to mutilate their bodies. Yes, absolutely. That's to, to allow yeah. medical professionals yeah. to, to generally uh, mutilate them. This is insane. We are living in, an ins this is like something, if you'd put it in, a, in, in fiction 20 years ago, 40 years ago, people would say this is preposterous and it's happening right in front of us. And it's being driven not just in the city, not just in the state, but in the country by the senator who represents the city of San Francisco. We have got to push back on it. So our San Francisco Republican Party, I'm proud to say, on Wednesday night is having its monthly meeting. And in it, we've passed a resolution where we go at, we make sure that we do, we let people know we do not support Scott Weiner and the agenda that he's pushing for transgender. And I think, incidentally, this might be something that can help bring parents and the Republican Party together because no Democrats standing up against Scott Weiner, but we are. Yeah, the log cabin Republicans on your side also pushing back against that? Oh, well, I mean, yeah. we, we haven't presented it to them um, directly, but yeah, they are. There were there were um, a couple of gay uh, log cabin guys on our uh on the subcommittee that drew, that drafted the resolution, and yeah, the, the 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 log cabin guys they think this is absolutely appalling what's happening, um, and they do not stand with it. And they also were offended that somehow this um, this transgender mania from from minors is is tainting the either the you know the gay community. There's a huge group that just started their account not long ago called gays against groomers on Twitter. Yes, and they're constantly yes. pushing back against the, the aggressive um, minor driven transgender uh, agenda and saying, we are not for this. We are for consensual relationships between adults and we support that, but we want to keep kids out of it and we want to protect kids and they shouldn't be doing these things to their bodies as minors. So, and, you know, what Wiener's also doing, there was an article written about this recently, a major one, that he has, he's basically enabling sex trafficking um, of minors, uh, that's the, prostitution. That's, that's, the Abigail, yeah. that's the Abigail Fryer yeah. article. Yeah. Well, right. Absolutely. It, 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 yeah. You know, in this, in this, you know, uh, uh, this part of this agenda is allowing, you know, to stop loitering because he wants to, you know, be able to allow uh, sex workers to ply their trade. Oh, well, well, as it turns out, most sex workers are trafficked or a huge percentage of them are trafficked women. So Scott Wiener is enabling pimps, you know, and, and human traffickers uh, in, in the state of California. The Senator so, from but, San Francisco. Right. So the, so the, Mike, <laughs> stop the, him. the new, the new Mike Chopley law, I guess can pass, which is that you don't allow anyone with the last name Wiener to enter politics. I guess that's not going to work out no. because you got, you <laughs> got your Anthony, you got your Anthony Wiener pervert on the East coast and you got your Scott Wiener pervert on the left coast. And I don't know any politician with the last name Wiener. That's normal. 
I don't. So uh, it, well, well, we should. Well, I, I know. I know there might be some constitutional issues. We should look at it, John. Let's look, just look at it. So you'll look at it. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we might be able to find some exception in the Constitution to say if you're named after a certain, you know, a certain uh, industrial-made sausage that you, uh, that yeah. you can't, uh, <laughs> exactly. that, that but, you can't you know, be in office. Yeah. But on, on a serious note, you're right. These politicians that we have, are at, oh, some of them are also, because you said we have a lot of, you have a lot of crazier people in these in these blue cities. And so you can have crazier politicians because the politicians are people who run for office, right? And when I talked about this COVID thing with these crazy people who want to have these mass mandates last forever is you have someone like, you know, they, they talk to Mandelman about it. And he says, oh, um, the mayor says, oh, we got the letter. We'll we'll consider it. Mandelman says, oh, uh, I'll, I'll address the concerns instead of what you just said, which is tell them to go to hell. Tell them they're crazy and they're not welcome here. But we don't we have politicians who placate these people. And then you placate them and you enable them and you make them think they have power over others' lives. And you put in mandates and laws, which basically uh, give them power over our lives. You know, these are people with obsessive compulsive disorder. I, you know, I'm not trying to make fun of it. Well, though, here's what the politicians. So the, the things that politicians are, what are they afraid of? They're afraid of bad, bad media and publicity. They're afraid their donors are going to go away because ultimately that it, those lead to, to the most important fear, which is that they won't get reelected or be able to pursue their next office, right? So the people who are they are afraid of who can create that media for them, they think, are uh, are the obsessive compulsives who have nothing better to do in their lives. And so they, they'll, they'll placate them and give them the will something. But the, those people have gotten more and more powerful over the years. Exactly. And, um, and if you go to any, go to a neighborhood meeting, you know, any neighborhood, doesn't matter what city you're in, but let's say San Francisco, go to a neighborhood meeting, you'll find lots of reasonable people. But, you know, go to go to the supervisor's chambers and people who are witnessing the uh, the proceedings of the, you know, in the, in the board of supervisors, uh, you know, people who turn out to protest. You got a lot of kooky people out there, a lot of time on their hands. You know? Yeah, but as I, I said on the show many times, there was a time when these people were like uh, to the periphery. They were not allowed to really enter the real mainstream and now now they're being placated and they're and they're actually in powers in positions of power you know they they're either politicians in positions of power or they're people who have groups who somehow have, have worked their ways in the position of power where in the old days they, they used to just be like yeah 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 we know you exist whatever <laughs> I, was now, the, I, was, I was at a i was at a party over the holidays um with uh someone who was an adem you know which means that they're actually on the uh they're delegate to the California uh, right. Democrat Party. Party. And um, you know, they meet by Zoom, and this person was telling me that she was no longer going to do it because the party is run by crazy people. I'm just not going to – I'm a moderate Democrat. You know, I, I'm, uh, I'm you know, reasonable on a bunch of issues. I just can't deal with those people anymore. She said you, you'd be shocked in the Zoom meetings. What they the, the 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 avatars that they post when they're not when they're not being viewed on camera are just you know you know this awful like graphic sexually charged stuff. These are their avatars, and they not more not not just one or two people, like a lot of them, and they're they're talking about insane issues. The Democrat Party has is has been captured by um, you know by the insane asylum. I keep thinking of that Batman movie. 
you know, where, uh, you know, where they're holding, you know, the crazy people are holding court. And that's kind of what the Democrats are right now. They've really been run, you know, run amok in the agenda of the party and uh, is, is being driven by, um, by the, the, the uh, you know, people least connected with reality. Well, I think Sarah Huckabee Sanders said it perfectly in that rebuttal of the State of the Union, right, that it's no longer about a Republican or Democrat or a conservative liberal. It's about it's about uh, crazy and normal. Right. I mean, that's the difference now, really. It is crazy and normal. It's not even it's not even like we can say, OK, there are two or three issues we disagree on and we can get together and talk about it because you're you're talking about these issues with crazy people who just simply hey, don't way, want if to listen. You think, if you think and I don't I don't usually like to go there. You could go to that place because if you can't, like, it's a very easy thing to say, oh, I can't talk to that person. He or she is crazy Um, because then you give up and, you you know, you're not using any persuasion skills, that sort of thing. But generally speaking, if you look at the agenda, um, is it and compare it to, um, you know, what we need to have a functioning society? Um, it's really not connected to that. I mean, what what they're pursuing is is not connected to that in any remote way. Whereas in the past, I would say Democrats at least were connected in some way. When the Democrats, you know, you could have your beef with the unions and what their what their issues were when they had a, uh, you know, when they were much more powerful in the Democrat Party. But at least they were pro business in some level. They just wanted to work and get their, you know, get their fair pay. So right. these people don't even want businesses. I don't know what they want. They don't want us to breathe. They, you know, right. car, you're, you're, you know, if, if carbon dioxide is a dangerous pollutant, then guess what? You are. You're a yeah, dangerous yeah. polluter, right? Right. I mean, this is this is what's this is what's driving the Democrat Party these days. So they kind of are kooky, and I, I don't exactly have the solution other than to just be, you know, reasonable and rational. And, you know, keep pressing that agenda and hopefully it survives. I think we will in the end. I think we're seeing the tide turn a little bit. Let me let me go to Jenny and then I'll ask John about uh, maybe his thoughts on the the upcoming uh, presidential uh, uh, primaries. But, Jenny, you are on and let's be heard. How's it going, Jenny? Good. How are you, Mike? And nice to meet you, John. The pleasure is mine. Nice to meet you, Jenny. When you nail them down on what their definition of racist is, it is they want you to disavow the founding documents, Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. They want you to hate the founding fathers as much as they do, call them racist, dismiss, erase history. And so when you have people who are unwilling to even discuss our republic in a rational way and agree that we need to teach history, both sides, all sides, no, they want it erased. They want it stamped out. And it's this, it's this place where they go that I cannot go with them. You know, I'm willing to talk about all kinds of issues. But if, if your posture is I'm a racist and a bigot because I love my country, then we have nothing more to talk about. Well, John, isn't that what they do now, really? When you talk about not being able to have a sensible conversation with someone by labeling them as crazy, isn't that what the right is really starting to do? They're starting to just cancel you if you don't agree with them. They're starting to call you a domestic terrorist or, as Jenny said, you're a racist or you're a Trumper or you're a Putin lover. They don't seem to ever want to talk about the issue. They want to just label you as something bad. John, sorry. That's to to John. I'm sorry. Um, 
Yeah, I don't, I'm sure we've all had relationships with, uh, with friends, quote unquote, who um, you get the sense over time that they will not be your friend anymore if you disagree with them on something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those kinds of people who are very particular about what they want you to say. Um, that's, well, it, ha- it happened to me. It happened to many of my friends. My, my, it happened to me and many people I know by progressive. Those kinds of people, yeah. those, kind, yeah. those kinds of people, you know, a lot of friends were lost and relationships destroyed because Donald Trump became president because a lot of people couldn't accept it. And the 1619 project is, is entirely about what Jenny was, was yeah. talking about. Terrible. You know, it's, right. it's, it's, a, you know, it's a typical leftist move to rewrite history and to shake the fundamental uh, construction of the nation, uh, the, you know, you know, so that you so that you don't love it, so that you despise it, um, and so, so yeah, it's we're not in a place where it's you know we don't live in a place where being patriotic is um, is an acceptable thing. Uh, certainly not in San Francisco. It's interesting. A couple of years ago, my wife went to a wedding, and uh, um, at uh, in Nantucket, I think it was, and she went to Nantucket Martha Vineyard. And I think she said in Nantucket it was very pro-American, and so many people, you know, proudly, you know, held, you know, had their flags raised and that sort of thing. And for her, it was really refreshing to be away right. from San Francisco and then actually go over to Martha's Vineyard and have a different experience, even you know, so close. So. So yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, Jenny. It's a, it's it's dispiriting, it's discouraging, and well, um, I got to tell you, John, I've been so impressed with San Francisco, and recalling Chessa, and d- pulling those three school board members off the board. You really have set a new standard for um, those of us out. I'm in Boulder, Colorado, so it's very woke here. Yeah. And you know, if if San Francisco could muster the courage to do those things, it's really been a powerful example for the rest of the country and then Loudon and what's happened in Virginia you know we do have these very very bright spots in our nation that we can point to and say this is a way forward for all of us yeah and you know think about um you know San Francisco I've been saying for a while last year pursued a very Republican agenda you know we said we want better schools without woke ideology and we want law and order and so we got rid of school board members and we got rid of the DA to pursue the Republican agenda. And then look at what happened in Virginia. You mentioned Loudoun County. Uh, you know, Glenn Youngkin saw that um, Terry McAuliffe was exposing the Democrat agenda, which is that they want control of your kids. They wanted to say that they're co-parents with, with, with your kids. And Glenn Youngkin recognized that wedge, you know, that they, that they never backed away from and, uh, you know, rode that to uh, brilliantly, I think to to victory so um so yeah there's i think that's sort of the core fundamental issues and the humanity hasn't changed we still want the same things and uh democrats seem to be pursuing an agenda that is sort of anti-human you know anti-human nature and that'll only take you so far i think i agree thanks for letting me talk mike i really appreciate the show george any thanks for the call as always Thanks for the closing. Right. You know, as, as as we begin to wrap up, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what do you think is going to happen over the next few months? Who do you think might enter the fray as far as the Republican nomination goes? And do you think 
do you think that Joe Biden is going to be the, 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 the nominee for the Democrats? Uh, so, again, I'll do it in reverse order. Yeah, I mean, you know, the incumbent uh, has massive advantages, even uh, someone who's you know, clearly, um, you know, uh, in, cl- in, in decline like, uh, like Joe Biden is. So I think um, he's likely, if he runs, he's likely to be the nominee unless uh, unless the media turns on him, unless somebody else comes along who convinces them to turn the you know, to turn the media. That, but that's not an easy thing to do. So we'll see how that plays out. I would say that if he runs, he's likely to be the nominee. On the Republican side, you know, everyone's hearing all the same names. Nikki Haley, of course, is, has announced, uh, you know, it's expected Tim Scott also from South Carolina will announce. Uh, you'll hear um, Mike Pompeo is likely to jump in the race. Mike Pence will be in the race. Um, of course, Trump is already in the race. And, um, you know, I think DeSantis is testing the waters. DeSantis is in a good position because um, one way or the other, the, the, the seat will be vacant in 2028. And he's young enough so that he could take advantage of it and still fulfill his term as governor. Um, so we'll see about that. And I think he'll be in a good position in 2028. Um, and but if he runs, the, then the battle will be well. Is the, the party tired of Trump? And are they ready for someone new, or does the party does the party trust Trump more than they do DeSantis? And we have some. I'm part of a national organization that um, uh, is, has a big chapter, the largest chapters in Florida, and I'm starting to get some grumblings out of that crew about um, about DeSantis. Um, and this is a crew that isn't necessarily enamored with Trump. But the, we got a warning the other day that maybe DeSantis isn't who people think he is. What does that mean? Is, that, is there anything? What does that mean that he's not what people think he is? Um, he's much more wedded to the populist agenda um, than people think. He's also much more, uh, you know, one of the one of the things that I liked about Trump uh, uh, as a you know as a libertarian. I just wrote a piece that was on antiwar.com. It was a speech that was delivered for me at. Um, the rallies uh, last Sunday. Um, uh, and um, Trump hated war. He, hates, he hated putting the country in that, that position. He understood, you know, what the real implications are of, you know, going to war. Um, and DeSantis is probably going to be much more aggressive in terms of foreign policy. On the flip side, you know, Thomas Massey is a congressman from Kentucky, good friend, and uh, someone I trust with anything we trust with my life frankly mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um he's very good friends with DeSantis. they serve together and he, he right. trusts him quite a bit so we'll see how that plays out i saw an interview lately with DeSantis, and they were, in, they were talking about him he was in staten island about a week ago talking about crime uh-huh. and all that stuff and he, someone they asked him about ukraine and from what i got from his response i mean it wasn't like as forceful as i am which is stop spending the money but it was basically in that realm of we need to worry about what's going on here at home not there so I, I, enjoy, I thought that was a really good response. I thought that was more like a Trump-like response of America first, you know, and that we're spending way well, too much money. Like I said, let's see how it plays out. The guys yeah. in Florida who I know are, 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 have vast respect for, and they're very committed, principled guys, and they are enjoying, you know, how well things are going in Florida, and, and they were saying just keep an eye on, on DeSantis. So that's it. We'll leave it at that. Well, do you have any, uh, any opinions on Vivek Ramaswamy? Do you have any, you know, any, 
any well, thoughts about what, him? What, a lot of what he's saying, and he's, I'm sure it'll be, it'll be interesting to see him debate. I mean, the, the, some of the stuff I love about what he's saying is get rid of the Department of Education. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that yep. was in the Republican, you know, that, that department was only started in 1980. It used to be in the mm-hmm. Republican Party platform to get rid of it. Now we stop saying it. It's a complete, it's completely not constitutional. There's no authority in the Constitution to, to create it. Um, so he's talking about that. He's talking about getting rid of the civil service, which is which might be a little problematic, but is probably a good thing in the end. Um, you know, he's right about one thing. He was saying, you know, if, if, if the president can only serve two terms, then we should have term limits for the bureaucracy. And he's 100% right about that. You have people who they, they constantly every year, every time I run for something, they constantly came to me and said, hey, do you support term limits? And I, I think I signed it once, but I didn't sign it after that because term limits, um, you know, if you if you start, in, 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 you know, we have term limits in California. How's it going here? You know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So, that's a good point. And, yeah. and if you ta- if you you impose term limits, you're just adding giving strength to the bureaucracy. But. If you put term limits on people in the bureaucracy, then maybe we've got something going. He wants to make the, 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 the federal government radically smaller, and I'm all for that. Yeah. Now, you know, I think I think the Republicans are in a good position of having, you know, I've had I did a whole show last week. I've had my I have my issues with a wealthy guy being able to run for president because he's got money with no political experience, although I do. I do like what he says. You know, I do like I do like what he says. Um, but uh, I, I think that it's. It's going to be – I think it's going to be an interesting race. I do. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a 100% DeSantis guy, but that doesn't count until he's actually in. But, um, uh, but I do agree with what you said, and someone I know brought that up yesterday, which is that obviously Trump can only run one term, right? So he's basically a lame duck <laughs> as soon as he gets elected. So let's say a Ron DeSantis was his VP. Even if it was his VP, it would set him up perfectly for, for 2028, right? And he's only yeah, I mean, this 44 is- years old, so. Yeah. yeah, and then he wouldn't even have to be the VP because that doesn't necessarily make you the president. I mean, the other issue that, that has to be dealt with if he were to run as Trump's VP, and I don't think he would do that, but even if he did, they, the Constitution prohibits uh, to the president and the vice president from coming from the same state. So, you know, Trump would have to move because DeSantis can't. Um, and, um, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't, even, I didn't even think of that. I didn't even think yeah. about that. So that's yeah, a problem. But, but Trump really has two residences, right? So he could he could move back to New York. <laughs> yeah, he could go back to New York if he wants. Look, he can go anywhere he wants. I don't know if New York is the best place for him, given his legal situation there. But also, right. it's from a, from a tax point of view. Um, you know, Florida you know, has no income tax, so he'd have to move to a to a non tax state where he probably doesn't have a residence and doesn't have a feel for the place. And I don't I don't think he's doing that to make Ron DeSantis his vice president. Boy, that the Constitution says that the president, vice president—that's such a—I I haven't even any—I haven't heard anyone even talk about that yet. You're the yeah, first person the who I've heard it's talk about there. that. Some people are yeah. talking about it, and they're just simply saying, "Oh, well, Trump will move." Well, Trump's not going to move. He's not going. I mean, he's not going to establish residency in another. And just to make Ron DeSantis his his VP, there's no way that's happening. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe we'll take one more call and then we'll. But Dia, did you want to? Dia, did you want to talk? You keep on going back and forth between the callers and and the listeners. So if you want to, if you want to talk, we can take one more call. If not, we'll we'll do the, we'll wrap it up. Um, but J- John, um, I, I really want to thank you for coming on. I, I really I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your your hour and a half time. And I think we had a great conversation. And I really hope 
I really hope that you continue to to pursue office here in San Francisco, because I think whether oh, it would be thanks. mayor nice or Congress yeah. or senator, I think I think you'd make, you know, a great addition. And I think we need we really need some common sense here in California. We need some. Well, common I don't sense you know. I, I think that if we can you know, sort of finishing on this, I mean, I'm running for this um, state party position, like I said, would, would um, allow me to do some great things around the state of California for other counties. And um, and the perk on it, I think, is that I get to sit on the uh, state party board, uh, which is uh, which is a good thing. Um, so that's great. I think we do need a strong Republican candidate for mayor in 2024. I think we need strong candidates for everything, especially even supervisor. Um, and I think we're talking to a couple of good folks about about doing that now. Um, but, yeah, I think especially we need a really good, strong Republican candidate for, for mayor. It's really important. I'm not sure. I don't think it's going to be me, but it'll be somebody. And um, I'm, I think I'm less likely to run for office. And I hate to tell you this, Mike, unless I have a really, really solid shot of winning. I've done so. No, I understand. Work. Believe me, I believe and, me. I ran. Yeah, I, I ran for Congress once. I understand. I, I totally understand yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's time to win, right? <laughs> it's time, it's it's time, time to, to win. win. Yeah, and I, you know, and the, and the statewide races. I mean, they take. I mean, think about the amount of effort that it takes to run in a place like California. I mean, the sure. luxury of running in a place like San Francisco for against Nancy Pelosi was that the, I didn't even have to go to the entire city. It's only like three quarters of the city. Right. right. Imagine running for state Senate for I mean, for U.S. Senate here or governor or one of these statewide offices. Forget it. It's the whole state. It's a big, big commitment. I'm so I respect so much when people do it. But in any event, we'll see what we'll see what plays out. You never know what's going to happen in politics. What do you, and in fact, you brought up a question. I forget. Do you think McDaniel, Juana McDaniel's, is is the person to lead the Republican Party forward? Obviously, there's no choice now. She won, but as well, far as she won, and that's and she and she said she said this is her last term. Listen, I think you know, I think Harmeet was right to challenge her. Uh, Harmeet's a friend. I supported her. I endorsed her. Donated to her. Um, uh, I'm a you know big believer in Harmeet. I think she's. You know, got a lot to to offer, um, and she took her she took her message out there. Um, but um, I also, while I supported her, I knew that it was going to be a tough run as well. Um, so I think Rana will do fine. And I think one bit of inside dirt I can give you is that, to her credit, she hasn't shut um, not only not shut Harmeet out, but what I understand is actually reached out to her, and they're talking and trying to implement some of the changes that uh, Harmeet was was talking about so I think ultimately she's gonna she's this is her gonna be her final term I think it's gonna be a good one because that's that's a really good sign good I'm glad to hear it I'm glad John thanks John Dennis chairman of the San Francisco Republican Party thanks for coming on I really appreciate it we'll talk again sometime soon thanks for the time all the best really appreciate the invitation sure no problem you too okay all right. So that John Dennis, chairman of the San Francisco Republican Party, we had a great conversation. Um, I want to remind everyone that starting tomorrow, we go back to our usual time, usual time, which will be 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern. Um, and tomorrow I'm going to talk a little bit about the um, the latest uh, victory for those of us with uncommon sense who are right all along from day one. The latest victory is that the uh, well, we got the natural immunity. That means something, right? Right. They were they they finally admitting natural immunity, but now they're also admitting that uh, the COVID uh, virus came from the Wuhan lab. Remember, if you had mentioned three years ago about natural immunity, they called you a a nut job, a Trumpy Trumper, uh, nut job, tinfoil hat lunatic. 
because you were talking about something that has existed since the beginning of time, naturally, but, but, but Fauci, uh, the Fauchim, of course, said it didn't exist because he wanted the vaccine to be pushed. And now, um, what many of us said from day one, which is that the Wuhan virus, I know this, this crazy idea that the Wuhan virus came from the Wuhan lab. Now, of course, we're being proven right as the Department of Energy and the FBI say it absolutely came from the Wuhan lab. We'll talk more about that tomorrow and everything else. Um, this show airs weeknights normally, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern. The show is entitled Unless Be Heard. Once again, I want to thank John Dennis for coming on the show. Thanks for all the callers. Thanks for the listeners. Thanks for a great, vibrant discussion and debate. And I will see you guys again tomorrow night. But until then, this is Mike Cachopoli reminding you that your influence counts. Use it.